Welcome to Convos from the Couch from Lifestance Health, where each episode you'll hear engaging informative conversations with leading mental health professionals that will help guide you on your journey to leading a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Converse from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nikki Lianza, and on today's episode, I'll be talking with Paula Bamboche-Martins from one of our Life Stance Philadelphia offices on the topic of intersectionality and mental health. So welcome, Paula. So great to have you on. Hi, Nikki. It's, I'm glad to be here, and thanks for having me. Great topic to talk about. I think very much highlighting the importance of really looking at intersectionality, especially as it kind of connects with mental health. So really looking forward to this conversation with you today. Me too. Me too. Let's start with having you tell us a little bit about yourself. So like you mentioned, my name is Paula Van Boshay-Martin. And great job. (laughs) Um, Great name professional counselor based in Philadelphia. I grew up in Nigeria, grew up in the UK and moved to Philadelphia six, seven years ago now. Um, My field of counseling, if I were to kind of describe what I do, I specialize in child and family mental health, even if I still see individuals for therapy. I would say that a lot of my work that I do in my therapy office has to do with difficult life transitions, relationships, discord, family conflict, um, chronic pain and illness, race, gender, and just sexual marginalization or other forms of marginalizations as well, issues. Uh, There's a lot of treating mood disorders too as well but I would say specifically what if I were to describe the practice that I have is very much so advocacy for my clients. I love to see my clients have self-sufficiency and get to a point where they actually don't need me. It becomes a situation where they want therapy but it's not that they need therapy. So that's a that's a major part of my goal as a therapist in working with my clients. Um, I am trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm trained in EMDR. I'm trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction and also family systems therapy a lot. <laughs> a lot of things combined. Wow. Um, but it makes it exciting. Yeah. Well in my sessions. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. You specialize in many great stuff and, and really encompass a lot of knowledge about like with CBT, EMDR as well, family yeah. systems. That's all such really good stuff there. Wow. And I also love the fact that your goal with therapy with your clients is for them not to need you, right? They want to be in therapy and maybe continue as opposed to really needing you. So I love that that's your philosophy. So let's jump into our topic and let's start with how would you define intersectionality? Yeah, it's it's a good question. If when I think about intersectionality, to be fair, I think about myself, I think about you, um, I think about my mom, I think about my friends, I think about pretty much everybody. Yeah. And, um, but if I were to define that, I would define it as a combination of just a variety of identity markers that make us who we are. 
um, who we are as people, who we are to our loved ones, to our friends, and who we are, obviously, especially in the society that we live in. So if to break that down into simpler terms, that would be my race, my gender, my sexuality, my religion, my educational level, my let's even say whether I have a physical disability or a mental disability, my ethnicity, my class as well, my socioeconomic status, and so many other identity markers that are out there as well. I don't think we realize that about ourselves, that yeah. there's so many <laughs> markers to our, our us, right? And so this mm-hmm. is why we're having this conversation. So with that, you know, why is that important to consider, especially because we might not realize it? That's that's a very interesting question. Why intersectionality is important? Because like I said earlier on already, when I think about intersectionality, I think about myself and I think about everybody. So if intersectionality is the core of who we are as people, our differences, our similarities as a result of our life trajectory, then why isn't it important in that in the first place? Fair point. That's an excellent point. Fair point, for sure. So if it is everything, of course, that's going to be important. Absolutely. So then how do we link it to mental health? Mm. I think intersectionality is mental health. Uh, I'll get there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that. Keep going with that. I like that idea right there. Because our mental health is impacted by our various identities. And if we're thinking of mental health as, of course, mental health issues or rather mental health conditions and mental illness, but there's also mental health and well-being, just ensuring that we are functioning at our best on a day-to-day basis. So if I'm thinking about that from the perspective of intersectionality and mental health, they are kind of one in the same because how we identify who we are as people that absolutely can impact our mental health or the other way around. So if I think of inclusivity and diversity, for example, in the field that we're in, in mental health field, it only is very important for us to have that, or that shows more rather when we actually do have intersectionality as a core of the practice that we we have, whether you're psych, whether you're a therapist, whether you're a case manager, being able to actually see people how they want to be seen rather than how we see them based off on our own biases. I love that, to see people how they want to be seen as opposed to the lens or the perspective of our own biases. I think that's really key to emphasize that right there. My gosh, has this been a, a subject that you've been interested in a long time? Obviously, you very much identify with this for yourself, but yeah. I, what really drew you to this? Yeah, I, I would say it has. Um, just going back to what I had shared earlier on too as well, when I find myself introducing people, so this is me acculturating to the, you could call it to the US in some sense, um, even if I am American by birth, but did not grow up in the US. I grew up in a different country, I grew up in Nigeria, I grew up in the UK. So that already has, that's a vast yeah, it's very vast in yes. terms of my description of myself and where I grew up, the culture that I was exposed to as well. So a lot of times when I find myself having conversations with people or having to introduce myself, I'm like, there's a lot of layers to you. I have that conversation like in my head where I'm like, you're black, you're female, 
you you could say you you grew up in multiple countries too as well so you're multicultural as well but then you're also you also identify as queer but you're also cisgender and then I'm also a Christian too as well so I when I think about how I introduce myself or the conversations that I have with people it made me realize the importance of intersectionality and I'll give you a quick example yeah please I I had a time when I was working specifically with clients who were black and I would have a lot of moments where in my session where they would look at me and be like so Paula do you understand what I'm saying you do right because you're black and I look at them and I'm and sometimes I say I can't I cannot relate and I had a client of mine once say why can't you you're black <laughs> and then I, I I had to self-disclose a little bit in that moment where I said I am black but I did not grow up black in America so that already that's yeah. a difference that we have even if we have that similarity and that's really what makes intersectionality in the first place important Excellent example there for sure. My gosh. So then that probably helped your client understand where you're coming from a little bit as well. Exactly. If we add in looking at uh, trauma here, okay, what is the correlation between mental health and trauma Mm. in regards to this conversation we're having on intersectionality? Yeah. So I, I know that I've talked about identity markers, right? And yes. a lot of us, if we think about it this way, um, if anyone who identifies as a Christian, for example, would be would belong in the majority population as opposed to, let's say, someone who identifies as the spiritual or even a Muslim in, in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. However, if we're thinking about other identity markers that are actually marginalized identity markers, that's where there becomes the correlation with trauma. If that makes sense. Yes, that makes total sense. So this is, it's not to say that different identity markers don't have value. They're not as important as the other one. But if we're looking at it from a systemic point of view, but also from obviously our experience, my experience as well as a therapist, when I look at folks in my in my office and people that I have worked with who who are marginalized, especially with their identity markers, right? There's that correlation with inequality, systemic inequality, discrimination, yes. violence. Yeah. There's a hardship, there's a tragedy, there's a trauma there. If yeah. you were to think of a client who comes from a lower SES background, but then also someone with, the let's say, a sixth form educational level two as well, but then they also identify as Black, and then they also identify as queer. Right. That already makes them someone that would be seen as someone, of course, with hardship and tragedy and trauma as part of their life trajectory. However, their own identity markers become more marginalized than someone else. That makes me think now I wish I would have, I could remember the quote specifically, Audre Lorde, who I believe was a poet as well as a essayist, uh, mm-hmm. essayist uh, back in the, I think, 60s, 70s, or even into the 80s, where there was one of her essays where she starts off the essays, I am a Black, lesbian, feminist, 
poet, mother. And I love that. And that was probably the first time I came across really what intersectionality was, because here's this woman hitting these different categories right there. And so that was just like, just so amazing to me. So that's what I think of right there. And and so, you know, looking at marginalized communities as, as you know, part of the element of that would could obviously be trauma with the prejudice yeah. and, and the different things someone's trying to yeah. navigate in those communities, for sure. Yeah. Which let's so bringing it to looking at prejudice, you know, how does intersectionality complicate prejudice towards marginalized communities then? Yeah, I, I do want to say as I was listening to you too, so I feel like it's very, very important to say this when we talk about folks who are marginalized will have marginalized identity markers, right? Yeah. They are not the problem. Oh, of course. I yes. Know the, the, it can, how do I put this? We are conditioned in some sense to think that people are the problem. For me, really, the problem really lies in the system you are of correct. power that actually marginalizes these identities, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes total sense. I'm really glad you clarified that. I think that's very important that we're clarifying. It's the system and not the people, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And to go back to your question as well on how intersectionality just complicates prejudice in some sense, I would say, I think, I don't know if you know the term intersectional stigma. So that really is, so it's when people of different marginalized identity markers, right? They experience multiple stigmatizations that can overlap or Mm -hmm. even coexist together. So take, for example, I think, um, I don't know if you've come across, and I'm sure you have, given the fact that you're in the mental health field as well, where you might have a client, if you are looking, and we obviously try not to compare our clients, and this is, it's more so looking at it from the identity point of view and the intersectionality point of view. If I look at a client of mine who is Black and who's female, but then also has a high level of education that reaches a sixth form, as opposed to, let's say, another client of mine who might be Hispanic, but then they're also female. Actually, let's even switch them, say they identify as cis male, and then they have the sixth form education too as well. The likelihood of the, let's say, the male Hispanic client versus the Black female client getting a position that maybe they're both actually working towards getting, the likelihood of it going to the male the Hispanic male would be higher than the likelihood of it going to the female because a lot of stigmatizations that are multiple, like multiplied rather, are usually associated with that. So it could come across as this is someone who's uneducated. This is a woman who's aggressive or who's angry, who's boisterous. This is someone who's incapable of actually following through with completing work tasks. And that's why us just pretty much exuding our own biases on how these identity markers show up in our offices, in our spaces, in our homes. Wow, that was a great example right there to help clarify that for sure. Other takeaways you'd like to share on this topic? Yeah, I I, I, I definitely, when I think about um, intersectionality, but also mental health too as well, I know that mental health can really be seen from a cognitive or neurological 
point of view, but it really also can be seen from a situational and a systemic point of view. And when I say situational, it's our life trajectory. It's the ecosystem that we grew up in. It's whether it's your church, it's your school, it's your family, it's your culture, it's your ethnicity, it's your caste, wherever, whatever that is, a lot of that really in some shape or form influences us so that our identity markers but then at the same time subsequently can influence how mental health impacts us whether it's positively whether it's negatively or just the extent to which it impacts us too as well subsequently again leading to whether we identify as this being a hardship this being a tragedy this being a trauma or this being a distressing life event so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that I reiterated that that people aren't the problem because if we look at it as let's say those with marginalized identity markers right who have experienced marginalization throughout their life trajectory their existence in itself is already a resistance yeah. to the system that we the system that we we are born into the system that we work with right. so if we're looking at it from that perspective people are not the problem and this is not to <laughs> this is not saying the system is the problem let's do something about it but we should do something about it but it's more so taking that blame off our clients or loved yeah. ones friends just based off on the fact that they have marginalized identity markers and i think that helps me as a clinician yeah so one part it helps me as a clinician actually see my client how they want to be seen as opposed to seeing them how I think they should be seen, how I was conditioned to see them, yeah. how society expects me to see them, right. how my own biases or my prejudice to as well expects me to see them. And I feel like because if we're able to do more of that and be more intentional with that, it helps us actually have more productive work in the therapy room. Mm-hmm. Now, outside of the therapy room, it actually helps us have more empathy for people yeah. as opposed to hate or being just prejudiced and discriminatory to people too as well. My gosh, Paula, my gosh, so beautifully put. And I liked how you drew it back to for clinicians really enabling us to have even more empathy as we're working mm. with our clients. So thank you. Thank you again for just sharing Absolutely. your knowledge on this topic. Very much appreciated. And we'd love to have you back on sometime. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this. Thank you.